Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to talk to you about redemption's story. I want to take all of those things that we hear about in Christianity and try to bring them into one big mega narrative. So I want to start, of course, in the book of Genesis. In fact, the book of Genesis contains about one third of human history. And in the book of Genesis, you find the beginning of about everything. And you really cannot understand God's plan of redemption without understanding quite a few things in the book of Genesis. In fact, we cannot understand what's going on on planet Earth today without understanding some things in the book of Genesis. So Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. So when God created man and woman, the first thing that God said was, You were created to have dominion. You were not created to be a doormat. You were created to rule and to reign. Psalms 8 and verse 6 says, you've made him to have dominion over all the works of your hand. You know the story, God forms the man. And then the Bible says that he did something different. Now, God had created all kinds of animals. And those animals simply could operate in the natural realm. But we had a dog for, for a number of years, just an awesome, awesome dog. In fact, when I would come home from, from church and I would open my door, the dog would be sitting right there and the dog would smile. <laughs> How many have pets? You know, they got a little personality, yeah. uh, but they're just simply operating in the natural realm. But what God did with man is he did something different and he breathed the spirit of life into him, and he became a living soul or an immortal soul. You see, at that point, God made a difference between man and animals. Now, we can, we can say it like this. We can say you are a hybrid being because you can operate in the natural realm, but you can also operate in the spiritual realm because God breathed that spirit into you, and you became an immortal being. That means you have an end, but you will never have an end. So God breathed that into him and he became more in God's likeness, in God's image. God put him in the garden. And Genesis 2.15 says this, to tend, to guard, and to keep. He's in the garden, not to just weed tomatoes. He's in the garden to tend, to guard, and to keep. Now, who is he going to guard against? What is he guarding from? Well, the answer to that is the devil. Well, it didn't take very long for the devil to show up. And by the way, the Bible does not tell us how long it took for the devil to show up. But I will tell you what Jewish tradition says. All right. You say, how long did it take Adam to sin? According to Jewish tradition, one day. First time he showed up on day one. But we don't know that that's true. The Bible does not give us an exact amount of time. But the devil shows up. You say, well, who was the devil? Well, originally, the Bible says he was an angel. He was a cherub angel. And it says this in Ezekiel 28 about him. It says, you were perfect in all your ways, 
the day you were created, not born, created, until iniquity was found in you. People say, where did evil come from? Well, this is the, this is the, the ability to choose evil was always there. It was always there. God didn't need to create evil. The ability to choose wrong was always there. And the devil choo- chose to go in that direction. So he comes, he tempts Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve obey the devil. And literally, some very, very interesting things happen immediately. The first thing that happens, by the way, is God comes down and he's wanting to walk with them and talk with them. And they're hiding. And the Bible says it's because they're afraid. Fear immediately comes into the world. And the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve is severed. That relationship of kinmanship, of friendship, of fellowship is severed. And they're hiding from God. And they're afraid of God. Now, the truth is this. There's a lot of people that they show up at church because somebody drags them. That's why they're there. And you know why you don't want to be around God? It's because you're not right with God. You're afraid of God. You're not in fellowship with God. But we, we are so glad you're here because it's one of, the, one of the places that you get an opportunity to get back in right fellowship with God is in a church. So we're glad you're here. But what Satan did was this. He took the authority that Adam and Eve had. When God created them, he gave them dominion. And what Satan did when they bowed their knee was Satan slipped in and literally took that dominion and began to use that dominion. Now, in Luke chapter 4, we kind of jump over to the New Testament, we find Jesus being tempted by the devil. It says he takes him up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, quote, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. End quote. Now, the devil said he had the authority and the glory of the nations of the world. And he said somebody gave it to him. Now, if he's lying, there's no temptation. So he's not lying. This is true. Who gave him that authority? Man did. When Adam and Eve bowed their knee, Satan slipped in and he took that authority. In fact, John 12, Jesus said this. said, now the ruler of this world, speaking of the devil, the ruler of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's called the God with a small g of this world. 1 John 5, 19. We know where you're of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The NIV says under the control of the evil one. The TLB says under Satan's power and control. How many of you have heard somebody say, man, if God's in charge, he sure made a mess of things. Well, here's the deal. The devil is in charge of a lot of things that are going on in this world because he's taken man's dominion. He came in. In fact, I love what Job said. It describes it so well. He says, he stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. So Satan is the reason for sin, for death, for sickness, disease, war, pestilence, famine. You name the evil thing. It's because the whole world is under the sway, the control, the power of the wicked one. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy 
the works of the devil. Jesus came to undo what the devil has been doing. So really, we can say something like this, that the whole Bible really is a story about two men and they both have the same name. The first one was married to a woman by the name of Eve and lived in a garden. We call him Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says the first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last Adam, there's another Adam. Now, we normally call him Jesus. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. How many know the first Adam got us in a big mess all by himself? But the last Adam gets us out of the mess all by himself. Just like there was one man that represented us getting us into trouble. One man. The last Adam, the last representative man. In fact, we can say it this way, the last prototype. When God made Adam the beginning, he put everything in Adam he wanted for every person, all of the humanity. But when God made the last Adam, Jesus, he put everything in him that he wanted for all of us too. Each of them gives something to mankind. Well, when Adam and Eve sin, God immediately makes a statement. This is the first prophecy in the Bible. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, notice it's going to be the seed of the woman. He said he's going to come. He's going to bruise or literally some translations say crush your head. It's an old oriental term that literally means to take the authority from someone. An ancient king would defeat his enemy and literally knock him to the ground and put his foot on his head, representing that he had taken his dominion and his authority. And God said, devil, somebody's coming. The seed of the woman. Why is it the seed of the woman? Because Jesus did not have a natural earthly father. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. But it was the seed of the woman. And he's going to crush your head. He's going to take your authority. I believe with all my heart that when God said that, immediately the devil had an excedrin headache. He thought, man, I, I just won a victory, but now trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. The seed of the woman is coming. And he begins to look for the seed of the woman. It's interesting. The first two people that were ever born, Adam, excuse me, Cain and Abel, that Cain kills Abel. And when they have another child, they call his name Seth, which means appointed or substitute. You see, immediately they thought their kids were going to be the seed of the woman. That's what they were thinking was happening. Now in Amos three and verse seven, it says, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. In other words, before God does something, he has it spoken. In fact, this is the only time really that God speaks of a prophecy. There's two times in Genesis where God speaks prophetically, but most of the time God proclaims it through his prophets. So when the devil heard the seed was coming, it put fear on the inside of him. Now in Hebrews, book in the New Testament, chapter two, it says this, inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. Now you're the children. He, Jesus, likewise shared in the same. Jesus came in a flesh and blood body like yours, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So he came 
to undo the works of the devil, destroy him who had the power of death. And by the way, the power of death refers to anything that kills, that destroys sickness, disease, famine, war, pestilence. All of that has to do with the power to bring death. Now, God said the seed of the woman's going to come and the devil is after the seed of the woman. But let me just say this to you. He's after your seed. He's after your seed. Your seed, number one, your family. Your children are your seed. Number two, your seed is your faith. Jesus said if you had faith as a grain or a seed of mustard, your faith is a seed and the devil's after your seed. And by the way, your seed is your money. The Bible talks about sowing your money, sowing your seed. He gives seed to the sower. The devil is after your faith. He's after your family and he's after your finances. Don't let him have them. So what happens is the devil is looking for the seed. Where is the seed? And he's trying to pollute the earth so the seed of the woman cannot come. Now, some of you have heard this before. For some of you, this may be new. Think about it. But church fathers agree that this is what happened. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2. Now, the sons of God, angels, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all of whom they chose. And there were giants in the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God, fallen angels, came into the daughters of men who bore children to them, and they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. King James. Moffat translation says, these were the heroes or the famous men of days of old. Darby says the heroes, they were the old men, the, of, of, were the men of renown. Now, how many of you remember your Greek mythology? I remember what a hero is. A hero in Greek mythology is when a god marries a human and has a child. And they are called heroes. They're not really human. They're only partly human because their seed has been contaminated. Early church fathers all taught that that is exactly what happened. And the devil was trying to contaminate the seed. And so God finds Noah. I want you to listen to what it says about Noah. It says that he was perfect in his generations, literally in his DNA. He was perfect. He was uncontaminated and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Jude one chapter verse six and the angels who did not keep their proper domain. These are fallen angels, but left their own abodes reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner, in similar manner to the fallen angels having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So God literally wipes out planet Earth because the seed has been contaminated. The DNA has been contaminated. And what is the devil after? He's after the seed. He's after the seed. So then God goes to a man by the name of Abraham. And, and by the way, I want to read two verses. And if you'd read nothing else in the Old Testament, you read these two, just these two verses, because these two verses are the most important two verses in the entire Old Testament. And literally 
From these two verses, we have our entire Bible. Genesis 12, verse 2. God speaking to Abraham. He says, I'll make you a great nation. By the way, that nation is the nation of Israel. And I've mentioned this before where the Bible says great. In the Hebrew, it means preeminent above all others. See, when Jesus comes back, he's going to rule from Jerusalem. He's coming as king of the Jews. And Israel will be the premier nation on the face of the earth. Not the United States or Russia or China. It will be Israel. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. Well, Abraham's name was great. I've mentioned this in the past, but I think it was in the year 2000 when Newsweek, Time Magazine, and another major magazine all had Abraham's picture on the cover the same week. Listen, when you've been dead for 4,000 years and everybody's putting your picture on the cover of your magazine, it's because you're great. You understand that, right? He says, I'll make your name great. He says, you'll be a blessing. Now, now this is really God's foreign policy, his state department, foreign policy. He says, I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then a messianic prophecy. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The seed of the woman is going to be a descendant of Abraham. That's the reason the devil hates the Jews so much. Because the seed was going to come through the Jews. Jesus said it this way. Salvation is of the. We don't like to say that, but it salvation is of the. Jews, it's of the Jews. The scripture came through the Jews. The Messiah came through the Jews. Now, let me just say a little bit here. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you as a believer in Christ. You realize your Messiah is Jewish. Mary, the mother of Jesus was. All the apostles were, all of your Old Testament Bible heroes were Jewish. How could you not like the Jews? I mean, you're going to love them. And by the way, God says, you bless them, I'll bless you. He says, you curse them, I'll curse you. How many of you don't want God's curse? And by the way, that still stands today. It's as true today as it was that God spoke it to Abraham. He is still fulfilling promises to the Jews. And because of it, the devil hates the Jews. He hates women. And throughout history has oppressed women because it was going to be the seed of the woman. And he hates the Jewish people. Now, in fact, in Ezekiel chapter 35 and verse 5. Now, this is 2,700 years ago. This is God speaking. Because you've had an ancient hatred. An ancient hatred 2,700 years ago. And have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword. In other words, the hatred of the Jewish people was ancient 2,700 years ago. It was ancient. It's not a 21st century or a 20th century or a 19th century phenomena. The devil has always hated the Jewish people because the Messiah was going to come through the Jewish people. Then God reveals a little more, not just the seed of Abraham, but then he said the tribe of Judah. And then he said the seed of David. And then in Isaiah 7 and 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I think it's very interesting that the devil understood that the seed was coming, but could never figure the plan out. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, 
It says, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Now, when it's talking rulers here, it's not talking about the Romans or the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers. It's talking about Satan. For if they had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Think about it. All of the prophecies that God gave about Jesus, about his redeeming us, but they didn't understand. It says in, in Psalms 22, it says, all my bones are out of joint. It talks about being pierced. It says, they divide my garment among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. It ends with, it is finished. It is finished. It talks about my God, my God, why have you not, why have you forsaken me? Jesus probably quoted the entire 22nd Psalm on the cross. And there's just several times where he speaks out loud and we heard it. It's all recorded. But, but the devil just did not understand. But finally came the time for the seed of the woman to come. It says that she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. This is right outside Bethlehem. It is, if you're looking from across the way, you'll be in the little town of Ephrata. And there's just this valley, and it's the shepherd's field. And it's still called the shepherd's field to this day. I remember years ago, we, we went to Israel, and we went to the home of Rabbi Shmuel, who many of you have seen up here. And we just looked out the window, and right there, the shepherd's field. And I'm like, man, does this make the Bible come alive? Those shepherds were not just any shepherds. Those shepherds in that field were the shepherds that kept watch over the sacrificial lambs that were supposed to be sacrificed in Jerusalem to pay for your sin and my sin. Not just any shepherd. And they're the ones the angels appeared to and said, go to Bethlehem and look and see. Look and see. The angel of the Lord said to them, don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly was with, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now, it says a, a multitude, it's like an innumerable group of heavenly hosts. Now, we read that word host. It should be translated armies. It is literally the armies of heaven. And you say, why are the armies of heaven? Why is there this innumerable number of angels there? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, they came to see the birth of their commander in chief, Jesus. But there's something else. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, born right there in Bethlehem, justified in the spirit, but seen by angels. They came to see Jesus because throughout all of eternity past, they had never looked at God's face. Not one time, but now he was born and they could come and see the face of God. They came because of who he was, but they came to see his face. Well, we know what happened. 
go, moving, moving ahead. He lives a sinless life. But when he's 30 years old, the Bible tells us he takes a trip and he goes about 30 miles where he walks, where John is baptizing people. And he's baptized by John the Baptist in the river, Jordan. And as he comes up, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When the devil heard that in his mind, this is what he heard. This is the seed of the woman who's going to crush your head. And here's, here's what's interesting. Immediately, the Bible says, he's just, Jesus, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but he goes into the, into the wilderness, led by the Spirit of God, to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, the first Adam was in a perfect situation, a beautiful garden, and he lost. But the last Adam went and faced the devil in a desert, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he came out victorious over death, sin, and the devil. We know what happened. He went to the cross. But that was the plan. It's going to be through death that he'll destroy him that has the power of death. Not, you see, it, was, isn't, it wasn't that the devil slipped one up on him and got in. No, Jesus said, no one takes my life. He said, I lay it down. That was part of the plan. He went, and at that cross, something very, very interesting happened. Now, if you and I had been walking by, we would have seen the three crosses, Jesus in the middle, a parchment above Jesus' head, written in three languages, Jesus, the king of the Jews. But there were angels all around. There were demons all around. And they saw something, too, because the Bible says that God nailed something to Jesus' cross. And it's found in Colossians 2. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The handwriting of requirements. Now, when Moses climbed Mount Sinai, God met with Moses. And the Bible says that God took his finger and he wrote commandments and requirements. Let's just talk about how many ever broke any of the 10, just a 10. All right. That was against you. Those were requirements and you and I did not fulfill them. That's what was against us. So God took it and nailed it to Jesus cross. And by the way, there aren't 10. There are 613 in all. And God nailed it to the cross and said, this is why he is dying. He is paying for every one of these sins. The ones you did, the ones you didn't do. He paid. And when he said it is finished, literally, sometimes it's been translated paid in full. Paid in full. Right? He arose and this is what he said. He said, I am he who lives. He said, I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades, the region of the damned and the departed dead. He said, I was dead. He said, but now I'm alive. 
And in between those two, he confronted the devil in the nether world. And he came over and he hit him and knocked him down. He took his foot and put it on his head. He reached down and he grabbed some keys. The keys of death, the keys of Hades, the keys of your defeat. And he took him up and he said, look, I've got the key. Listen to me. The devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house. Not even his house. Jesus got the keys. Listen, don't let him have the keys to your house. Don't let him in. Don't let him in because when Jesus arose, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go, you, therefore. He said, I'm giving you the authority to stand against the devil, to rebuke him, to say, no, not my house, not my health, not my family, not my kids, not my finances, not my peace, not my joy. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. He arose victorious, but gave you and I the victory. You see, the Bible says that God was working in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He was working in Christ, but he wasn't working on Christ. He was working on you and working on me. He gave us the authority. He gave us the dominion. He gave us the forgiveness. He gave us the privilege and the right to come in to God's presence. He was working in Christ, but he was working for you and he was working for me, working on us, getting us to the position where we could have the victory that Jesus purchased for us. What a great redemption story we have. All right. Hey, would you please bow your heads for a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.